In every culture, there is a, a, a determination usually, or, or was always that way in cultures, when guys became men. And we're starting a new series, Write a Passage, and that we're kicking that off this week. And, but before I get to that, I would just want to remind you that we finished up our Synergize uh, last Sunday, and that is our latest chapter in our Growing with Grace campaign. And we are still waiting for some of you to, who want to be involved uh, to turn in your cards. And if you uh, can do that today, we have a box on either end of the platform down front that you can lay your eyes on. There's also some cards down there. If you never got a brochure, you can grab a brochure. Uh, the last page of the brochure, brochure is a card that you can tear off and uh, you can put that in. And there's also boxes uh, out at the information table as well. Again, we are excited about what God has done here. We believe that God has, has used us to impact our area and uh, Sandusky County. And, and now we, we realize that we have hundreds of people coming up from Tiffin to attend church here. And because of that, we several years ago decided we're going to launch a campus in Tiffin. And so we're making that happen. And that, that will ha be happening in the next year, year and a half or so. And as, as that does happen, this is part of the way that you can be involved because we believe that God will, will use us in Tiffin in the same way that he's done here. And I believe that the next couple years will be the most exciting years in the history of Grace Community Church. So we want you to be a part of that if you can. And so think about that and jump in. We're talking about uh, rite of passage, and you, you guys made it through the, the weather all right, everybody okay? Anybody slip and fall? Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. All right, so yeah, we'll try to get some, uh, some more salt down on, on, the, uh, on the parking lots and stuff like that. But you know what? We, we also know we've realized we started our live stream again, and a bunch of you are at home watching this on your computer. All right, we know who you are. We're tracking you. I just want you to know that. So we expect you to be here next Sunday. No, we're, we're glad you're here. Uh, we're going to look at a, a passage, um, and, and basically, we're going to talk about what the Bible says to men. And I know there's a little kickback on that. People will say, well, well, hey, Kevin, if you haven't noticed, we're not all men here. Yeah, I, I, I've noticed that. But everybody here knows a man, right? And uh, you, you know a man, or you have a man, or you're married to a man, or you are not, no longer married to a man and would never plan to be married to a man again, you know, or whatever it is, you don't want a man, you know, everybody's affected by men. And God has a lot to say to men, and I think it's good for us to understand how God defines biblical manhood. And of course, we're doing this uh, as a series. We're in just a few short weeks, as Kendra was saying, is we have our fight club coming up, and, and that's just for men. That's March 4th, starts in the evening. And uh, just a little bit about that is, guys, if you're over 18, tune into that. Uh, we'd love to have you out. I think last time we had over 200 men, and maybe, maybe half of those guys made it all the way through, uh, 11 weeks. But uh, there's a physical challenge, intellectual challenge, um, spiritual challenge, relational challenges every week, and it's kind of intense, and we'd love to have you there. You do not want to miss it. It's no meetings. Basically, there are only three meetings involved, a kickoff. That happens 10 to midnight. Uh, there'll be a mid-meeting. That happens. 
The meetings are designed that way, so the only thing they're, keep, they're not keeping you from your family or hopefully your job, it's just you just miss sleep, and we just say, tough it up, you know, it's all right. So that's what we got coming up. But write a passage, when we're looking at men and how God would want us to be men, uh, I, th- I think it's good for us to all re-challenge, rethink our vision of manhood. I know a lot of you guys, like me, maybe you think about your dads and how they were and how you are. Uh, my dad was, a, a, told you before, is a master chief. He served through three wars. He was halfway through his first pot of coffee before the sun came up every morning. That's just who he was. Me, I sit at a desk, and somehow when I order coffee now, it comes with whipped cream on top and a straw in it, you know, so obviously we've lost something, and uh, so it's good for me to kind of refocus a little bit, and, and that's really what this is all about. When God created man and woman, He created us in His image. He made both in His image, and this is a key truth, uh, because we're created equally, but yet distinctively. And there's, there's no question regarding the equality part. We're absolutely, absolutely equal in the same way that Jesus and the Father are equal. But we're different. Um, we're equal in value, equal in worth, equal in giftedness, equal spiritually. But God has made us distinct, and He's done that specifically for His purposes. He's made us that way. And that's what Scripture teaches, and and we'll be looking at some of those passages, but you don't have to be a genius to figure that out, right? I mean, we see that every day, don't we? I mean, not only do we have physical differences, but uh, we can see that in our kids, or we can just see that in the way people are wired up. uh, Pam and I raised a son and two daughters, and now we have two granddaughters and two grandsons, and and the oldest of those two is a a grandson too and a granddaughter. You knew I was going to work my grandkids into this somehow, right? So so Toby is our two-year-old grandson. Well, he is completely different than Aria, our two-year-old granddaughter. I mean, they have some similarities, but Toby, for example, when he comes over, he, he just wants to roughhouse. He just wants to play, play hard. He wants to climb anything he can climb and jump off of it. He wants to go in to explore any room that he hasn't been in. Doesn't matter if the light's on or off. He just wants to go, run, jump, play. He wants to wrestle. That's how he's wired up. Aria, a little bit differently. She comes over and she just has a softer nature in the way. She likes to play too, but it's just softer play. When, when things start... When Toby starts bouncing off things, she kind of backs away and just looks at him like, are you insane, kind of a deal. And, you know, that's, that's just a difference that we see. Um, when she wears new shoes, she wants you to notice. She changes her clothes eight or ten times a day, you know, which I don't really understand. Probably one less than her mom. I don't know, but <laughs> it, it, it's just a, a dip. They're just wired up differently. We see that. We don't have to be convinced we get it. But what we need to understand is that's the way God made it. And so the question is, what should we learn about being a man? What makes a guy a man? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about. And uh, I, I want us to look at 1 Kings chapter 2 because there's a guy in the Bible that I think men would recognize as a man's man. And that, that, his name was David. 
King David, if you'll remember, uh, he had a very interesting life. He had actually he fought and killed a bear. He fought and killed a lion. He killed a huge warrior named Goliath. He led men into battle. For, for a part of his life, he was a mercenary leading hired guns into battle, fighting for different kings, whoever, whoever could pay the most. I mean, this is David. Men would follow him to their deaths. They gave their lives. And David was also, Scripture says, a man after God's own heart. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But have you ever wondered what a guy like David, a guy that accomplished all that, toward the end of his life, what would he say about manhood? Well, actually, that's recorded for us. I'd like you to turn, again, 1 Kings chapter 2, beginning of verse 1, and I'll give you the context in this in just a moment, but I want you to hear it first. As David's time to die drew near, he charged Solomon, his son, saying, I am going the way of all the earth. That just means I'm dying. Be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. Keep the charge of the Lord, your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, his testimonies, according to what's written in the law of Moses, that you may succeed in all that you do and wherever you turn. So, end of his life, he's passing the mantle to Solomon. But there's a lot of context here that really makes this intriguing. First of all, you may not realize it, but David... He, he was a man, described as a man's after God's own heart, but he had some issues. I mean, he did some things wrong. He sinned against God in some grievous ways. As a matter of fact, one of the, the main things that David had an issue with is when he became king, he started collecting wives, which was common in the day, but the law had said not to do that. So in spite of what God said, David ended up with many wives. Because of that, his family life was a mess. For example, most people don't realize David had at least 19 sons from wives. And that's not in counting sons that he could have had through concubines. 19 sons. Well, now when it comes time for succession of the throne, we got problems, right? And his family was a mess because of these multiple lies. For example, his oldest son was killed by another son, his half-brother, because the oldest son had had a physical relationship with this half-brother's full sister, Tamar, so he gets killed. I mean, that kind of stuff is happening in David's family because he disobeyed God. Now David is old. He's about to die. And his oldest son has been killed, actually Amnon, by Absalom. And now, as he's weakening, there's a, well, he already had a revolt. One son, Absalom, revolted against him to take the kingdom away. David has survived that. And as a matter of fact, his trusted general, Joab, killed his own son, David's son. Now David's on his deathbed. He's even weaker. And another son has now having a party, and this time this son has 
David's general Joab on his side, and the serving priest in Jerusalem is on the son's side, and they're plotting to take over the throne. They're just waiting till the time is right. And the tension in Jerusalem is tense. I mean, it, it's thick. It, it's big. It's, something's going to happen, right? Because everybody has to start picking a side. This son... Or Dave, and then David realizes, no, who God wants is actually Solomon, a different son. And so as people start aligning themselves, David realizes there's going to be a bloodbath. Something's going to happen. So he calls Solomon, and he gives Solomon this threefold charge. This is what he tells him, what, what we just read. He says, be strong, man up and pursue God because you are in a dangerous hornet's nest of political treachery and you're going to have to think and act courageously to survive this thing. So that's what happens. So first of all, it's be strong. I'm going the way to all the earth. Be strong, therefore, David says. And this is probably not the individualistic, pull yourself up by your bootstraps type of strength that that maybe a lot of guys would think about. It's really more directly connected with God's authority in our life. It's more than just physical strength that David is calling Solomon to here. It includes emotional strength, strength that should flow out of our connection to God, strength that he's going to need. And I got to tell you, same thing today, men need strength. Men need to be strong because there are all these pressures on our families, on our relationships that tend to tear all that down. We have to remain strong. And of course, when I'm talking to guys, there's a lot of kickback because guys will say, Kevin, hey, I'm trying, but my wife, she's checked out. She she doesn't want to do this anymore. Be strong. Kevin, I'm trying. You don't understand. Uh, I'm doing everything I can do, but but she's not willing to stay in the relationship. Be strong. Kevin, you don't understand. It's not fair. I'm doing it all. I'm the only one contributing. I'm in. She's done this. She's done that. Be strong. Do not, as a man, sacrifice your relationship on the altar of some perceived fairness. Man up. Be strong. Keep your vows. Keep the promise that you made. That's what God's calling us to. And that's what God wants for us. Don't do the easy thing. Do the hard thing. Don't do what's expected. Don't do what's fair. Don't do what everybody else does. Do what God calls you to do. Self-sacrificially love, be strong, and keep doing that. Because that's what God's called you to do. Check this out. This next thing. David says, not just be strong, but show yourself a man. Isn't that great? Don't guys love this? Show yourself a man. He's saying, hey, demonstrate that you're a man. Prove it. Show it. 
do it. Not that you're male. There's a bunch of males. He's saying, show, there's a lot fewer men. Show yourself to be a man. Show yourself a man. Demonstrate your manhood by doing things that men are supposed to do. Man up. Show it. Prove it. Do it. Take action. One of the things that that you may not realize about grace that, that I think about quite a bit is that one, one thing I've always appreciated about grace, having been here a long time, is that our church here has a much higher percentage of men who are engaged in church, men who are part of our church family. If you've been in other churches, a lot of times it's just not that way. I don't mean to be slamming them or anything, and I don't know exactly what. There's probably a lot of reasons for that, that, and I would know them all. But the point is, here at Grace, we've traditionally, for, for the last 27 years that I've been here, have a lot of men that are involved in what we're doing that step up, that make things happen. For me... As a pastor, that's been huge because we've had so many men in and out. A lot of these men aren't even here anymore that were here 20 years ago who are, who are gone from us now, but men who are worthy of respect, men who lived out their lives following God and did amazing things. Men who landed on the beach of Normandy and fought all the way through the Battle of the Bulge. Men that were behind enemy lines, stringing communication wire among enemy tanks on the island of Peleliu, which is a super bloody island in the Pacific Theater. Men who, who fought in the deserts of Iraq and Afghanistan. Men who served on submarines men who build businesses, men who work with their hands, men who drive racetrack or drive tractors. You know, we've have, we just have all these men, men who take risks, who provide jobs for other people, men who've been faithful to their wives for 70 years, men who pitched in the majors, climb water towers, I've seen men in this room turn their lives completely around for God. Men who were raised in less than ideal circumstances, to put it mildly, who started following God and it changed everything and have grown to be strong leaders. Men who love self-sacrificially Men who faced death and died like men. We have examples around. And God has given our church men. But we need to keep God's ideal of what a man is in front of us. We need to keep the picture, the description of biblical manhood alive in everything we do. David's saying, show it, prove it, do it through action, courage. Keep your head. Keep calm. 
when everything's falling apart. You know, make a difference. Be where the action is. I know one of the things I've noticed just in culture, maybe just because I'm old, is I noticed the way we use words has changed over the, over the decades. Like, it used to be when you use the word hero, that specifically meant somebody who literally risked their lives to save somebody else. That was kind of the, the classic definition, I always thought. Or, or when people use the word emergency, that means a life-threatening emergency means somebody can die. You know, it's kind of the way I do it, or used to always think. And and I, I think just in our culture, we loosen up, you know, which is neither here nor there. But the point is, you know, guys want to be where the action is, right? And we, and we want to be a strong, calm presence. I remember in the, the job that I was at before I came here, which was at Liberty University, and um, did their emergency services, which is 50, 60 armed guys with some ambulances and, and over several places in the city, and when you have a job like that, most of the time it's just boring. You're just checking things and watching and, you know, maybe running radar or giving a few tickets or whatever, but you're just not doing all that much. But then every once in a while, there's some action, right? Did you guys all fall asleep? Every once in a while, there's some action. You know what I'm saying? Some guys are bailing me out there. Yeah. So every once in a while, there's action. And when there's action, what happens is all the other guys listen in because they're at some other location. They're all tuned into the radio. They're following the action, right? Can you, can you see? You know what I'm saying? And so what would happen, and I turned this into a game while I worked there, is so something happens, like, you know, there's a traffic accident or somebody got hurt or somebody got hit with a car or something like that, and those things happen. And when they happen, a lot of times there's a guy responding, and so, you know, he's running or he's out of breath or, you know, he, he feels, uh, you know, maybe a little overwhelmed or he's just trying to get a hold of the situation. Well, and I would always follow that. But if that ever happened to me, if it wasn't a true emergency, and that's the key, nobody's life is really at risk, then I would make it kind of a game out of it. And so what I would do is I would always talk on the radio like I was bored out of my mind during this thing happening. So... If, uh, if something happened, like, uh, like one time there was a dorm fire, so you hear guys going, hey, there's a fire, you know, and they're all, this is all the radio traffic, so you're listening to, yeah, I'm up here at dorm 17, there's, I definitely see smoke billowing out of the thing, we need to call you know, the RAs, get these people out of here, and then I would show up and I'd go on the radio like this. Actually, if there was a lot of screaming or something, I would keep my mic and let that happen on the radio first, and then I'd say something like this, that's affirmative, there's a fire, dorm 17. <laughs> It's contained, first floor. Most students have exited. And, just, and that was just fun for me. It's not fun for you guys, but it was fun for me. You know, so uh, one time I, I had a guy with a hand injury, and I'm, you know, so I'm like, 219 control. Yeah, we're, got the patient loaded. Yeah, we're rolling to the hospital. Yeah, oh, by the way, I do have a severed finger. You know, I was just doing, it was just fun. You know, where other guys, you know, they'd be yelling, or, you know, anyway, maybe you don't get it. But anyway, it was just, it was just kind of fun for me. You know, one time there was a, a chemical explosion in the science hall and, you know, all kinds of stuff's going on. A whole bunch of people were affected. And so everybody's screaming and yelling on the radio. And then I get on the radio and I'm like, yes, I can confirm there's a chemical explosion in the science hall, room 12. We're going to need a few more ambulances. You know, and that's it. So anyway, not fun for you, but fun for me. But here, here's the deal. 
We need to be ready to react in emergencies. This is what David is telling Solomon. He's talking to Solomon at a time that it is very dicey, very dangerous. Somebody's going to die. Heads are going to roll. Blood is going to flow. And, here's, and he's challenging him to some man. After this threefold challenge, by the way, he deals out to Solomon some man-sized tasks, some justice-dealing things that Solomon's going to need to take care of if he survives. But before he gets to that, he gives his third and most important challenge to Solomon, and it goes like this. It's basically just, you can just encapsulate it this way, pursue God. You want to be a man? You need to man up, Solomon. You need to be strong. You need to be strong. Show yourself a man and pursue God. It goes this way, keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, and his testimonies according to what is written in the law of Moses that you may succeed in all that you do and wherever you turn. Here David, he's reminding Solomon that in order to be a man, it requires obedience to God. And and by the way, why wouldn't it? God invented men, right? God writes the owner's manual. He's the author of men. And so we would expect that he would have something to say about that. And he's saying, hey, obedience, Solomon, is key. And it's the same way today. Obedience is key. Obedience to the Word of God. Now, one of the things I've noticed as a pastor, and I may have mentioned this a couple, within the last couple months, is I run into people. I interact, lately I've been interacting with a lot of other pastors. And what I've noticed is, when they find out that, you know, you're in a a fairly good-sized church that's very contemporary in style, some pastors or people will make the assumption that when it comes to our teaching and our doctrine, we're a little loose. That is not who we are. And so I have to keep reminding people, well, what you're talking about, that's not us. We have not changed any teaching. We are as biblical as we've ever been. We have not loosened up one thing. We have not loosened up one biblical stance, one doctrinal teaching, one biblical truth because of social cultural pressure. Not one. We stand true and strong on the Word of God. Hey, I got no applause for service. I just want you to know that. No applause. Anyway. Yeah, so wasn't expecting that. But yeah, we stand on, that's all we have, right? In a lost and broken world, we don't have anything else. We don't have anything else to offer for broken families, broken relationships, broken sexuality. There's nothing else to give. It's God's counsel, God's word. Otherwise, it's not worth anything. Without God's Word, we might as well close up, shut it down, and go home. Because then it's just man's wisdom. It's not worth anything. It's God's Word that we stand on. It's God's truth that we teach. It's God's rules that we follow. That's that's who we're trying to, to emulate. That. We're trying to follow the God, our creator, who, who teaches us. Now, it's interesting, 
Because the Bible says David was a man after God's own heart, but yet he did all this stuff. He married all these wives. He wasn't supposed to do that. Not only that, he committed adultery. He, he committed murder. I mean, he's doing all this stuff. He's supposed to be following God. He's challenging Solomon to follow God. Pursue God. He's saying, be strong. Show yourself a man. Pursue God. But then we see all these failings in David's own life. What's going on there? Well, it's David has the same struggle as so many of us do today. I mean, we want our families to thrive. We want to do the right thing. But in, in a moment of, of weakness or, or just something happens or some circumstance, we end up doing, as men, many times, the very thing that we despise. We end up doing things that tear down what we're trying to build up as we try to follow God. We end up doing things that are counterproductive to what we know that God wants for our lives and our families. Well, we can learn a lot from David. Because when Scripture's saying David's a man after his own heart, that means that even though David had these issues, he kept trying, wanting to follow God. He kept pursuing God. And, and we have got to do that. We're lost without God. We have to pursue Him with our lives. We have to be intentional. You cannot drift into pursuing God. You have to make it happen. You have to swim upstream. You have to be strong, do something different, go against the culture, go against the drift, go against the current. Stand for God no matter what. That's what God calls us to do. We end up, I know, a lot of times being our own worst enemies, it seems. We're strangely comforted by the passage that says, Paul, what I want to do, I don't do. And the very thing I decide I don't want to do, I end up doing it. Why? It's because of our nature. You see, God created men and women in the image of God. But then man fell. We're created in God's, God's image, but we've inherited Adam's sin. And with that means that we've, we've all, men and women alike, we have inherited this tendency to go away from God, to be selfish, to do our own thing, to just want for us. And as we do that, it's actually self-destructive. We never think about that while we're doing those things, but all those behaviors, all that selfishness, it, it's self-destructive to our lives and what we really want. But the thing about David that we need is David could admit it. David w was, was very good at when somebody exposed his sin like Nathan, he's like, I'm the guy. That's me. I blew it. I'm wrong. And he would repent, come back to God. He would admit his sin. He would ask for forgiveness. 
And that's what every single human being needs to do today. Because God has made a way for us to be reconciled as sinful people to a holy and righteous God. But there's only one way. Because we're alienated in our sin. We're removed from God in our sin. All of us. And really that had everything to do with David, didn't it? I mean, really, it was through his line that the Messiah was, was going to come. David. Man's man, fallible, messed up, sinner, David guy. Through his line would come a savior king. A real man's man. The man's man. Who would not only step down from heaven and clothe himself in his own creation, humanity, but then he would walk this planet humble, poor, to serve. And ultimately, what did he do? As a man's man, he went to the cross and allowed himself to be crucified to death in order to pay for the sins of his own creation, us. He paid for our sins. Well, well, why did God even allow us to sin in the first place then? Well, because God wanted a real relationship with us. So we had to have freedom. We couldn't just be robots where we had to follow. For us to have a real relationship, for us to actually be capable of loving God back, we had to be capable of sin, and we've all sinned, and we've all alienated ourselves from God. And not only that, God is ultimately righteous and just, and in His universe, sin has to be punished, and it will be punished. Because it's actually perfectly just. Not right now, we're not experiencing that, but we will. It's coming. Justice is coming and punishment for all of our sin. And so in his love for us, Jesus allowed himself to be tortured to death, hung on the cross. Could have left at any time feeling the same thing that we would feel if we were on the cross being tortured. And as his blood drained out, he's saying things like, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But with his death and his resurrection, he made a way. But it's not automatic. You see, to be what God wants us to be as men or women or anyone else. It's God's way. We have to first be reconciled with Him. And that's what God offers us through Jesus. And so, we are left from our perspective with this decision to follow God or not, to repent or not, to change our mind about Jesus, which will change our actions, or not. But the only way that Christ's death counts for our sins is if we respond in faith. And that's what God is inviting all of us to do, men, women, all of us, 
And as we launch this series on biblical manhood, write a passage. We cannot let it get lost in the weeds that the most important decision that we could ever make is to follow Christ, the perfect example of self-sacrificial manhood. Because if we respond in faith, our sins are paid for by Jesus himself. We no longer have that barrier between us and a holy, righteous God, and God will come into our life forever, for an eternity. But it's actually a decision that we make a decision to place our trust or our faith or our belief in Christ and Christ alone. And in order to make that decision, first of all, like David, we have to admit that we're guilty. We have to know that we've sinned against God and that there are real consequences for that and that our sin just can't be winked at. It's not just something that, that, that we can snicker at. It's serious and it's an offense to a righteous and holy God. And once we admit it, then that makes us capable of realizing we need outside help, that there's nothing we can do to offset our sin, that the good things, the right things that we would hope might offset our sin, that's what we're supposed to be doing anyway. It doesn't count to take away one sin. So when we admit our sin, we admit that we need this outside help, then we put our faith, our belief, our trust in Christ and what he did on Calvary. We put our faith in Christ. We believe that he is the son of God and that he paid for our sins 2,000 years ago on a hill outside of Jerusalem. And then when we do that, we'll know we're serious when we have a desire to follow him with our life. Because if we're just saying all this stuff and we don't want God, we don't want anything to do with God in our life, that's not what the Christian life is. As a matter of fact, that's, that's like what hell is. And if that's what we want for our entire life, God will give that to us for our entire eternity, separation from God. Admit your sin. Put your faith in Christ and Christ alone asking him for forgiveness, knowing that's possible because of what he's done for us. He's paid for our sins. All sin has to be paid or, or there's not justice. He paid for our sin so that we could be forgiven, have a relationship with God forever. But we only do that. We only enter into that relationship with an intention to follow him. So before we go any further in this series I want to just stop right now and give you the opportunity to just reflect for a moment, to look back on your life spiritually and say, wow, is, was there ever a time, Paul says, examine yourselves, is there ever a time that you could look back that you have given your life to Christ, that you've admitted that you're a sinner, understood who Jesus is and what he did on the cross, and that you put your faith in Christ and Christ alone, not coming to church, not being a good guy, not getting baptized, not any religious ritual, not anything. Just Jesus. With a desire to follow him. If you've not done that, I want to give you an opportunity to do that now before we leave, just because it's so important. It's more important than anything else 
that I'm going to say to you if you fall into that category. So let's all bow our heads. Again, we know God is God, and, and by very definition, God knows everything you're thinking, everything you're feeling right now. And, and really, what makes a Christian is faith in Christ, knowing you're a sinner, understanding what Christ did, who He is, and what He did. And so that can happen kind of in a moment in time. It does. I want to give you the opportunity just to speak that, even silently, in your heart to God, and what we call sinner's prayer. And so if you're ready, I'm just going to ask you to pray along and make this prayer your prayer. Put it in your own words. You can do it silently. I'm not here to embarrass you. God hears, He knows your every thought. But express something like this to God. Father God, I understand that I have sinned against you. And I've done wrong like everybody else. And that I probably don't understand the weight of my sin because it is against you. And God, I realize I need forgiveness. And I realize sin has to be punished. And there's no way for me to make up for that. God, I thank you that you have loved me so much that you allowed Jesus to come. And Jesus has loved me so much that he voluntarily went and allowed himself to be tortured in real life to pay for my specific individual sins, my personal sins. And God, I thank you for that. And right now, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I, I cannot save myself. And I'm putting my trust only in Jesus, nothing else, no one else, just Jesus for the forgiveness of my sin because he died for me. And God, help me to follow you. Come into my life and help me live your way. In Christ's name, amen. I'd like our heads to remain bowed for just a moment. And here's what I'm going to ask for a quick show of hands. And before I do that, I just want to explain why. First of all, I don't want to embarrass you. That's not what this is about. And we're not just, you know, tracking everything. And so some of this is just so you'll have kind of a physical response to a commitment that you've made to Jesus to help you remember and solidify this decision in your own life. So while our heads are bowed, I'm just going to ask, I'm going to ask two questions. First of all, if you've ever done that, anybody. And then after that, I'm going to ask if, if you did that today. And so right now with our heads bowed, if, if, if you're just sitting here and, and when I said, hey, take a minute and reflect, you could reflect to a time where you're confident that you gave your life to Christ, that you understood you're a sinner, put your faith in Jesus. If that's true of you just in general for the last... 20 years or whatever, with our heads bowed, I'd like you to raise your hand right now. Hey, Kevin, yeah, I'm a Christian. I put my faith in Jesus maybe years ago. Thanks. And now if you're here saying, wow, yeah, I came in here and maybe I wasn't even supposed to be here, or, you know, but here I am and I realize that, uh, that I want to be a follower of Jesus that I'm a sinner, and that Jesus died for me, and today, right now, I'm putting my faith in Jesus. If that's true of you, if, if just today you've made that decision, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to do anything else. With our heads bowed, I'm just asking you to raise your hand and look up this way just so you know that I can see you. Just right now, just raise it up. Thank you, sir. 
Raise it up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And make sure, kind of peek up here. See you back there. Thank you. Back there. Thanks. Anyone else? Say, Kevin. I prayed that prayer today. I'm trusting in Christ and Christ alone. Thank you. See you over there. Thanks. Let's stand for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness, and we, we come to you as, as broken people. Lord, we know we need help, and Lord, we thank you that you love us enough to give us direction through your word. And Father, we're rejoicing this morning that, that several people here have indicated to us that they've come to you through your son, just like mo- most of us have. God, thank you for that, and I pray that they would feel your presence and that they'd want to keep learning more about you to grow closer and closer to you. All of us want to do that, Lord. Help us all to come together to learn more about you and, and live and challenge each other to live the way you want us to live. God, thanks for Grace Community. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you most of all for Jesus. Thanks for the time that we can be here together, Lord, and help us to learn in the future. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Hey, thanks for being here.